This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Justine Jones, the vocalist for Employed to Serve, who have a really crushing new record called Conquering. It's out now via Spine Farm Records. Uh, This was a really interesting chat. Um, Sometimes now when I get propositioned to have people on the show... um, the publicists kind of now know that I'm not looking to do like the 20, 30 minute interview. I'll, I'll still do those, but uh, I like to get a little bit more in depth with the guest. I like to just have an actual conversation because upon getting the email uh, about Employed to Serve and having Justine on, uh, it was real funny. Tim, uh, the publicist, was like, I know this is definitely going to be a band that you may have heard of, but probably have never seen because they haven't played the States uh, really a whole lot. So this is really a great example of us wanting to connect you with someone to just kind of have the conversation that you've been having lately and this was a lot of fun because this came at a time where I personally have been kind of going through uh, some some struggles I'll guess I'll say it like that and about employment and about uh, the roles that we all have within you know our interpersonal relationships and just kind of the bigger scheme of, of life and all these kind of things uh, probably because I'm getting ready to turn 37 in as of when I'm recording this uh, four days and so you just kind of start thinking about a lot of different things that happen to you and are happening to you and, and self-value and worth. And so to kind of have this opportunity, uh, you know, seeing the band name Employed to Serve, it really just kind of resonated with me on a, on a very visceral level, just the idea of being employed to serve somebody uh, and how we are meant, I think, uh, for bigger things. Some people, you know, can punch a clock and, and they're fine working a nine, nine to five. Uh, some of us just aren't kind of wired that way. And, and you know, 
what does that do to us? What does that say about who we are as individuals? Are we better than or greater than or are at a disadvantage to, to, to not feel that, you know, the normal nine to five is meant for you? And just kind of working my way through that and, and kind of how that parlays into the new album Conquering and about some of the lyrical themes in it that I kind of was picking up on and talking to Justine about that and just kind of, you know, the band even kind of doing a lot of things on their own and, and just taking things into their own hands, you know, doing a Patreon and and offering more than everybody else and, and just outworking everybody. And I and I think that's kind of really where this whole thing kind of stems from. This this conversation is just the ability to realize maybe that you're meant for something more than others. But at what cost to you, at what sacrifices are you willing to make to still be in a viable space uh, for yourself, for your spouse, for your partners, whatever that is? I mean, even talking to Justine about being in a band with her spouse or significant other and, you know, the the relationship there and how that ends up you know, manifesting into your day to day, uh, not being able to get away from any of it potentially, or how do you compartmentalize those facets of your life? It's, it's just really interesting. Um, you know, and, and Justine also runs a label. Like, so I was, it just, there was so much of, of Justine's story that I just found so interesting where it's like, how the fuck do you get away from anything? Like I, I love and respect the hustle of, you know, you taking your band and, you know, getting signed to a label and just grinding, but then that you love music so much that you aren't burned out by it, that you're like, fuck it. I'm going to start a label. I'm going to do these things. And it's just, it's really interesting and it's really inspiring. And, and sometimes I feel like some of these guests just come in at a point where I just need to have a conversation with someone about the things I'm going through with my own life and it just is so serendipitous sometimes how some of these opportunities come about. So uh, enough of my rambling. This is my conversation with Justine Jones, and I will talk to you all on the other side of it. Normal time for me. <laughs> yeah, they are like little children, aren't they? They're very, very. Uh... Uh, I've had some people yeah. say, like, definitely agree with me, and then I've had people be like, "That's not the same at all. Don't ever say that. That's they're not one and the same in any way, shape, or form." <laughs> <laughs> Is having a kid worse? I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. I don't know. I've made the comment to a couple people because I was like, you know, having having a dog in general or having a, a pet, I would say less less cats and some of the other like ancillary animals like uh, ferrets and rabbits and stuff like that that people may have because uh, those can be kind of confined to a cage. You can leave food and stuff like that. They're a little bit easier to, to maintain. But, you know, like with a, you know, I'll say at least like with the dog, the thing that I've constantly made mention of is that it's like, so you're a child or a baby, you know, it, it can't communicate with you and you never know what's going on and it's constant watching and, and training uh, to learn how to talk, to walk, to you know, eat and do all these things to become a, a, a person, basically. Yeah. With a dog, it's perpetually more or less in a state of infancy because, yes, you kind of learn some of their tells of like, okay, like this is how we've kind of trained you or what you have taught us is your tell to go to the bathroom or, or when something's wrong. But, you know, like last year, 
uh, I had to put my dog down that I had had uh, for about 12 years, literally on New Year's Day, and was one of those things where we knew she was getting old and the signs were kind of there, but it was one of those that literally until we went to to the uh, the emergency vet and they're like, we could either, you could either spend like $10,000 for this surgery and the thing that we may find in there, we might be able to take care of, or we may not that it's like, Oh, well essentially you're telling me now I got to put this dog down. But it was one of those where it's like literally until that moment, like I had no idea. I just thought it was like, Oh, okay. Like, just got to take you and maybe something wrong, get you on some like steroids or some fluids or something and, and everything will be fine. And it's one of those where it's just was like, you don't have that with children. Cause eventually they can articulate like my stomach doesn't feel good or whatever. And there's a little bit more of, uh, I guess a cognitive understanding of what to expect or potentially what you can expect from that situation. And with dogs, you know, it's just like they are like your best friends, but they're just in a perpetual state of not being able to communicate really in any way, shape or form. And until it's kind of the end and then you're just like, well, shit. And then you start the whole cycle over again. If you get another one and want to go through the heartbreak in another eight to 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Well, at least like, I suppose with kids, you can uh, go to the pub. Oh, wait, you can go to the pub with dogs as well, to be fair, but dogs aren't very good pub conversationists. <laughs> no, but the interesting thing about taking your dog to a bar is that a lot of people will come to you. Like we used to take my old dog to the bar and you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, I had a whatever or, you know, they bring their dogs and then you kind of end up sort of getting a, a different sense of community uh, through through owning a dog and basically being social with your, your animal with your pet. But it I guess the same can be said about having kids like I guess in theory, as long as you're not a shut in, like <laughs> you will socialize your children, your children will then have friends. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because like, you know, and. and this sort of actually ties in a little bit to uh, to your new record and your band name as a whole. But, you know, I kind of been thinking a little bit more about like just the sense of community and, and, and uh, one's life and how we kind of navigate through it. And, you know, as I'm getting ready to turn 37 in about a month, um, three days actually after your record comes out. So uh, September 17th uh, is when your new record conquering comes out. Uh, I will be 37 three days after that. But uh it was a thing where, you know, I just kind of think about my life, my parents, as I get older, about how I view them more as people now, not just like these are my parents, like they are people, they have their own lives, they have their own thoughts and so forth. And kind of looking at people through different prisms and just kind of seeing how life affects them and stuff like that. But that it was like, you know thinking about when I was growing up and being like, Oh, I wonder if this person, like my parents were like, I fucking hate this kid or I hate their parents, but I have to fucking hang out with them <laughs> and stuff like oh, that. Cause I know I've done that with pets. Like I'll be like, this pet's awesome, but the owner's a fucking dick. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep, keep the dog, leave the owner. <laughs> yeah. There's very much that. Um, but something I kind of wanted to talk to you about, you know, it's, it's, it's been really interesting how, uh, and I'm not like speaking in a, in a very like meta, like, oh, the world's just so attached. And, and if you pay attention to clues, like you're just going to notice these things and they're just going to kind of reveal themselves to you. But it was kind of interesting because in the last couple of weeks, uh, so I do uh, a job. I don't know if there's a comparable job over like over where you live, um, but basically I grocery shop for people who are too lazy to grocery shop and I get paid to do it. And so 
I decided it after a couple of weeks uh, of maybe going back to a normal nine to five job. And the job that I applied for stated that the salary was between, you know, this $10,000 like range. And I shot right in the middle. Cause I was like, I have like 10 years experience in this field and long and short of it. The, uh, person was like well this is an entry-level position and here's where we and they tried to keep me as close to that starting point as possible and i was like dude go fuck yourself like you just wasted like two and a half days of mine between phone calls coming in here for an in-person taking a bunch of stupid tests just for you to tell me like you're gonna work 45 hours a week and you're going to get paid dick i was like fuck you dude i make more than that now and like just what a huge waste of my time and it was interesting because when I got the email and I saw employed to serve and I knew I was going to be talking to you, I just was really thinking about that as a concept employed to serve. Like, fuck if that's not so goddamn true. Like that's what it feels like half the time. It's just that like you get a job and your whole existence is to essentially serve someone or something. And it's never you and you never reap the rewards of your own hard work. I feel Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and at the time, um, so Sammy came up with the name and he was working a gardening job and his like other his colleague who was also a gardener was like apparently just like the most miserable person ever as well. So like he'd like be working in the pouring rain because it's England. It always rains. Um, you know, <laughs> like mowing rich people's gardens who wouldn't even make him a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, which is like the rudest thing ever. Like it blows my mind with my friends who work in like laboring or like, um, you know, gardening and people don't go out and ask if they want a coffee in the bitter winter or if it's raining or anything. But yeah, like, so it came up that and like, I was working in retail at the time and oh my goodness, like people are so weird. Like the general public is just like, it's like an experiment. Like it's, I just can't even fathom like how odd everyone is. There's obviously like lovely people and like, but it's always like the weird or rude ones you kind of remember. Cause I think that's just the human way. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like I've worked retail. I've worked in like I basically have worked in every industry in customer service or the customer service field where essentially people just look down on you for for whatever reason. And it's funny because I feel like and I don't know how much you're seeing this uh, in our it's very American of me to be like, oh, like I was about to say, like, oh, I'm sure you've seen the news, but I'm like, maybe not, because it doesn't ha- doesn't necessarily relate to you. Uh, but that's a very American way of thinking, like, oh, of course you know what's going on here. Um, but just the fact that a lot of people aren't taking jobs right now, and there are so many of the service industry and retail fields that are just hurting for people because people have realized that they have value beyond taking a shit job, and that was something else that I've really been thinking about because. Uh, I've been following uh, Kevin Smith is redoing or not redoing. He's making a clerks three. And I've just been thinking about a quote from the first movie that came out shit like 30 some odd years ago at this point, uh, where one of the characters says to the other title does not dictate behavior. And the more I think about that as a concept and like I said, with employed to serve and just, you know, the fact that conquering as an album, you know, kind of seems to be about the rising above I don't want to say tyranny or anything like that, but just maybe uh, the adversities that we go through as people, uh, as individuals and overcoming our own doubts about ourselves and stuff like that. And it just seems to be all cyclically tied uh, with what I've been going through. So maybe mentally I'm just kind of pulling pieces out of the album that aren't really there, but it just, it's kind of amazing that uh, 
you, you put out an album and I get it. And it's just like, fuck, this is exactly how I'm feeling right now. And what I feel about a lot of life things that are happening. And I don't know. I mean, how much, how much of that maybe was something you went through going through a pandemic and being isolated through people. Oh yeah. I mean, like you hit the nail on the head with like what conquering means as an album. Like it's just basically like, uh, you know, going above like adversity and, you know, uh, conquering your own ego. So like kind of like realizing you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, because I felt, you know, um, the, the kind of themes in this album is definitely some stuff we've already touched upon in previous records, but this is a more positive spin and a more, uh, I'd like to feel empowering album. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I think the pandemic did a really good job of making us all feel in the same boat for like once in like the history or like at least like kind of written history. Um, everyone's gone through the exact same thing. Everyone more or less feels the same sort of way, like isolated from family, kind of questioning what's important in life, you know, because I definitely feel like um, the problem with like retail and like lack of staff has happened here as well. I think it's happened all over the place because, yeah, like I mean, this whole industry has been ruined and they've been treated terribly by employers. So people are like, no, like, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to come back. Um, and loads of businesses, like, have fortunately, like, obviously some have unfortunately, like, not survived, but there's been, like, new startups that have done really well. I know loads of coffee companies around here that have done brilliantly. Um, so people have just kind of um, found other ways to make income. They've had to do that for 18 months. So I can understand why they don't want to switch back especially with everything closing down or everything still being so uncertain well i think it's it's interesting the more i think about it with going through a pandemic and what it's kind of taught me is you know it's it's interesting because you know i feel like so many of us have gone through firsts uh <laughs> in this you know last like year and a half and for me, it was like one of those where I think the one thing, the one thing I seemingly have noticed that in talking to so many people, you know, whether it be through this or just in general, is it feels like everyone finally, I think, has an understanding of what and where their life is. Like, I know when the pandemic started and you literally couldn't see anybody because uh, you were, you know, couldn't have more groups larger than like three people. Um, so it was one of those things where I think we finally started to realize the value of connectivity with one-on-one, one-on-one discourse, not being buried in our phones anymore and actually talking to people and the value that that adds to your daily life. And that when you don't have it, that you start (laughs) in some cases having to deal with your own shit, or at least looking internally and being like, man, I'm only left now with my thoughts and I'm kind of realizing maybe I'm not the person I want to be. And yeah, you know, there's the joke that like, people wanted to come out of this pandemic with, you know, looking health, like being healthier, losing weight, whatever. But I think the one concept that I've seen is that people have actively been seeking like therapy and so forth, because they realize like there's some underlying issues that they haven't dealt with. And I, if that's the one thing that everyone has kind of taken away from it, then like, I think it was kind of a good thing to cast that eye back onto us and and figure out like, how can we make ourselves better internally? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, no one's had the sort of like the noise of like everyday life and distraction. It's like, yeah, really 
um, made people sort of reflect on how their life has been going to up to this point and, you know, kind of questioning like where do they want to be next? And I know these are friends that have like been like that. And it's been quite nice actually, because I feel like uh, for the most part, people have like really sort of taken everything on board that they've sort of thought about during lockdown. And, you know, they're going back to university, they're, you know, uh, switching careers, they're like, you know, starting families and things like that. They're kind of realizing what they really want from their lives. And obviously, it's unfortunate it's taken such a horrible thing to happen. <laughs> um, but I think that's just the, just the way things are. <laughs> well, I mean, I almost would say like, you know, kind of speaking to the themes of the record, like, I feel like sometimes it takes either a really traumatic, something really traumatic or something really seismic happening in your life to where you have to kind of take into account what's happening and where you, where you are and what you want to change. Um, I guess survival uh, is kind of the name of the game there, but it's a, I don't know. It's just been, like I said, it's just been really interesting. Like, the record has kind of made me been thinking a lot. The The band name has just really resonated with me. Like I've seen it a lot. Uh, and I know you don't tour here over in the States a, a, a ton. So I'm not, it's not something I'm seeing like every couple of months. Like, Oh, there's employed to serve on, you know, first of four on this bill coming through, but I've seen it enough to where I see it. And I'm always like, that's an interesting name, but seeing it, like I said, a couple of weeks ago when I got the email, I was just like, fuck man, that's, that's really hitting me right now. <laughs> And uh, just kind of wanting to get out of, I guess, the, the the rat race and just being like, like, I worked a 15 hour day on Monday. And yeah. it was one of those things where I did it for myself. I got done with my day. I had made about 400 bucks for the, that one single day. And I was like, I'm, I saw and reaped the rewards of my hard work almost immediately. And it's like. I could have put in that same day somewhere else. And then all that would have been expected out of me is, OK, do that again. And then again, and then again. And then one, one day I go, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, not really being a team player. And it's like, no, like, why isn't anyone else doing that? Like you start looking around and realizing that people use fear tactics all the time. And, and I think the one thing that I came up with during all of this, this pandemic and going to therapy myself uh, this past year, I had this epiphany one day where I was like, you know, we tell people that are in abusive relationships, like, get the fuck out. Like, why would you stay in it? Like, you need for your own sanity, for your own safety, like, get out of this bad, toxic relationship. But we don't use that same verbiage when talking about a job that emotionally and financially is abusing you. And I know people aren't in the position to just quit a job, but it's one of those where I was like, wow, I've never thought about working as another relationship that you need, that can be that toxic and that you need to get out of. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I, when uh, my very last retail job, I had like such an awful boss, like he was a horrible person. Like, you know, like I used to like be on the shop floor and like be selling more than others and I'd still get sort of like targeted and it's just such a horrible thing. Cause obviously like you don't realize it though, but you spend more time at work than at home. So it, it can really, um, really affects your sort of mental health, I think. Um, and the funniest thing is, as well, like, you know, yeah, you can't quit your job and stuff like that, but you can always do things. I don't know what the equivalent is in America and if you call it the same, but like you can get a temp job. So like mm. you just yep. call up an agency, you do agency work and you get paid more for bar work through agency work. And then if you don't like a place, you can be like, oh, no, nah, like I'm not doing any shifts there anymore. Like, yeah. like you could even just like, like kind of almost work in the same sector and just get paid more just by jumping around. Yeah. 
It's funny though, when you, cause as someone who's been like a uh, management in some of those fields and having to hire people through a temp agency, it was really amusing one day to find out like how much we pay the employees between their actual rate of pay and then paying the agency. And was one of those things where when I went, I had to go through an agency to get into a job and then they'll hire you on after so long. And when it came time for my pay, they were like, well, this is what we're going to pay you. And I was like, you realize you're paying me less than what I was working through a temp agency. And they're like, no. And I was like, yeah. And I go, and actually I know because I bet on your side, I know you were paying them about $21 an hour for me. And now you're bulking at trying to pay me 18, which is what I really want. And they were like, well, and I was like, I mean, you can well it all you want, but I know the, the, the facts of it. So it's, again, it's, it's just interesting once you, and I think it's more of a bigger topic societally that once you kind of see and learn about how things go, it's interesting how people try to pull the, the wool over your eyes and keep you blind, deaf, and dumb more or less to, to what's going on so that they can stay and control you more or less. Oh, yeah. And like it's especially with these sort of more like um, sort of basic level sort of jobs, you know, like ones like, you know, jobs that you take just to like kind of get you through university. Like I remember going for like a, um, I went to like a trainer shop, mm. like to like, just, like, you know, get a job there. Just like you know, actually two days a week just so I can like buy food and pay my tuition fees. And they were like, why do you want to work in shoes? And I was like, why do you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to save lives by selling shoes. Like, what would what, what you want me to say? Go like, I, go, I have go, a foot fetish. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, 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 I love feet. Like, um, but yeah, like, they're so weird. It's so funny how they're so unaware. Like, these, like, people just need to be, look, look, I know it's like, it's not a very fun job, but the team's great. Everyone's nice. You know, we try and make it as bearable as possible, but no one's up front. Everyone's like, this is the greatest supermarket job you'll ever get. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know it's not. You look miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a dude the other day, because uh, like one of my side gigs is working at a bar uh, as the door person. And my thing now that I love, because I, I don't know if you can actually see me or not, but regardless, like, it's funny because a lot of people will be like, I'll be like, oh, I need to see your ID. And they're like, Really? Like, oh, I'm so old. And then I look at it and there will be a group of dudes. And I'm like, the oldest one of you is still six years younger than me. So, yeah, that's why I check your IDs. Um, but it's funny because there's a dude that came in and I swear this guy probably was like 48. Looked at his ID. He was only 24. And then like when he walked away, I was like, whatever job that dude fucking has, I don't ever want it. Because that dude looks old and like just beat down. Like, fuck whatever he does for a living. Yeah, what is his diet? Does he have a hydrate? <laughs> well, I mean, that was the thing is, well, yeah, I guess there's that. But as I say, he was like not out of weight or anything. Like he was pr pretty proportionate. Um, and so it was just one of those things where I was like, man. But like thinking about that, like I feel like that's just, like I said, having gone to therapy in the last like last year or so, it has it's changed. I mean, it's changed this show. Like before I would have made like a like I would have listened to the record. I would have written like a shitload of questions and I would have basically formed a full, you know, conversation with you. And then I would edit it to where it's like, OK, this leads into this. This leads into this. And it all, you know, has an arc, almost like a story. And yeah, like a lot of people seem to like that. But then it was just like, that's not how people talk. And if if someone were to like, if I were to explain to someone like, Hey, I steered you this whole time. That's also not really cool to me. So I was like, I'm just going to start having real conversations with people and wherever the fuck they go, they just go. Um, 
and I think that makes them more fun for you because like in the middle of a press junket like i'm sure the last thing you want to do is like all right so let's go ahead and uh let's talk about the record and this the single that's been out and i'm gonna talk about that ad nauseum and oh you got a tour with gojira are like are do you guys love gojira how stoked are you for that well yeah i'm fucking stoked it's gojira like like how many times can you be asked that same question or those same questions and not eventually just be like well, this was kind of a waste of my time. I could have just pinpointed you back to something else where I already said all this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the, that's the fun thing with podcasts, though, isn't it? You you feel like you're uh, eavesdropping at a uh, you know someone's conversation in a pub. Like mm. that's what was quite fun. There's like so many memes about it as well because I used to listen <laughs> to like so many podcasts when I used to commute into London because it used to take me like an hour because um, mm. I was like working in the South London. Um, and yeah, like I literally just lit, felt like I was eavesdropping and it was quite fun. <laughs> you know, something I kind of wanted to bring up, you know, speaking of because you've been talking about, um, you know, getting jobs, going to university and all that kind of stuff. I don't. I feel like there is such an emphasis placed on, you know, education and seeking higher education beyond, you know, high school or whatever, as it's called here and then going to the university. Is that same thing as strict over there as it is here or is it kind of very loosened and just kind of well if you don't go to university you can either go to a trade school or or whatever i i just feel like it's kind of maybe a little bit more lax than it is here i think so i think like um it's cheaper for us so it's more exciting and more like kind of like you know people more likely to take it as an option um, but yeah, it's a lot more free. I think I don't know if it's changed, but I'm pretty sure we still finish school at 16, um, yeah. which I think is far too young. Like you don't <laughs> want to be in the in the rat race at 16. Like I used to work a, like a, a job in a pharmacy for a bit, and I was just like, oh my god, how do people do this all the time? Um, but yeah, like I think I think it's kind of similar to be honest. I think now that the pandemic's a thing. Um, I think more people are going into education because it bides time to mm-hmm. like for things to get back to normal. And and for me, I, I only went to higher education because I literally didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. And I was like, I can't work full time. It's too depressing. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just kind of winged it and like just kind of, and also at the time I didn't know if I wanted to um, like move abroad or anything. So when you have, um, a degree get more points on your sort of visa applications and stuff so it has actually helped me for like you know applications and things so um but yeah because at one point I wanted to um my dream was to work for Pixar Mm. um and I've studied animation at university but I very quickly found out it wasn't for me I it was a very (laughs) um, because like like Pixar like they've got this really cool thing on Disney plus at the moment where they kind of go through their um their kind of like different roles and like different sections of it and it all looks really fun and colourful. But, like, realistically, like, obviously, like, yeah, it is, like, a fun, probably a fun environment. But, re- like, these people, like, work such long hours in darkness a lot of the time, especially if you were in, <laughs> in with, like, colour graders. And I remember I went on, like, a little walk around a special effects company in London that I was going to apply for. And, like, literally, they like the guy took, taking us around just, like, opened this door into darkness and, like, all these blinking eyes looked up. <laughs> um, so all the color graders and the animators were together and they obviously needed like, like no light to come in and it was like silence and like tapping away because everyone was obviously working to a deadline I was like I can't do this 
<laughs> it's, it's not me. I like to like natter at like, you know, the, the kettle and getting, I like to go, go and get coffee and talk to people. And yeah, it's, uh, it was fun. It was definitely, it was good for like finding out what I didn't want to do. Is there anything that you've taken from your time in going to, I don't want to call it graphic design, but in design or animation that you have, I mean, obviously with having a label that you run with uh, Church Road Records and so forth, I would imagine that some of that has seeped into what you've done either with Employed to Serve or running a label or anything like that. Would that be accurate or? Oh, for sure. Like during one of my lectures, I actually designed designed the logo because I was really bored. It was like a coding segment. And I was like, nope, I hate this. So I didn't listen. Um, and I made the logo that we had actually used to this day, which is quite fun. But I tell you what, it, it made me believe in myself a lot more because I was bottom of the class. I was like really bad. Like I didn't naturally have a knack for it. Um, like I think uh, I, I get by, like I'm quite technically minded and like with everything else. And I can, I've taught myself Photoshop when I was 13. Mm. but um the software that they use like Maya like it's such a um oh it's just it's a mental software like it's there's so much that can go wrong and sometimes like things go wrong for no reason and like the lecturer will be like oh it's just Maya and it would be like working <laughs> to a deadline and you'd be like stressed out like a couple of people in my class actually cried once because like it just didn't work and there was a deadline and I was like oh my god um so yeah I managed to like finish with like a really good grade in the end because I just really worked at it and I stuck to it so it kind of really showed um kind of proved to myself that if I put my mind to something I can really like I can you know get you know do well mm. um because in school like I never really had issues of getting good grades like everything was like I never sort of had to really work at something and it was kind of to my detriment because I was sort of always coasting and just sort of like going oh I'll just you know I will study a bit but you know I'll just kind of get by so when I came to university I was like oh wow like I need to actually put the effort in um but I think it sorted me out for later on in life like it's kind of I've kind of kept that same work ethic and it's definitely helped me out a lot it's funny I don't know if this would be the same experience that you would have going to going into something that's more of a technical vocation like that but is also art derivative as or in the art space but it's funny because like when talking with one of my tattoo artists, you know, he went to a uh, an art college here in, in where I live. And we've talked so much about how it's weird going to school for something to be a creative in. But all the examples that they show you are teaching you about like, you know, you look like Rembrandt or Picasso or any of these people. And it's like. Well, they broke the mold. They broke all these rules and they they reset the rules of what you can do and da 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 da. And then they tell you like recreate something in the style of this, and then you do, and then they just tell you like, well, this is why this is wrong. And it's like, well, it's art, and it came from me. It's a creative outlet. Like, how can you tell me that this is wrong when all that we've just been learning about is how these people didn't follow rules? They did what they were like. They just did what came naturally to them and what spoke to them. And it created this these beautiful things that have been long lasting arts of work, works of art, I should say, and that have inspired so many others. And it's like it's so weird that I I can imagine in the same thing as you're talking about a dark room where eyes just like peer up at you, <laughs> that I could feel like a lot of people might be like, I got into this because I wanted to create something new that hadn't been seen to tell a story or help be a part of a story that's never been told. 
But then you have people critiquing it going like, well, it's not perfect. It's not this. And you're like, well, fuck, man. Like, does it need to be? Yeah, like, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because, but I, I kind of get it because, you, you know, to get a degree, there has to be some sort of curriculum and parameters that you have to hit. So I think that's why, like... I, part of me is a bit like, oh, you don't really need to go to university for anything creative. I tell you what, actually, like the best part of going to university for getting creative is like the networking and meeting people. Absolutely, but that's the only thing. Like, it is like literally just like getting used to networking because there's so many people at university who you might keep in touch with who do really well, and they might be able to hook you up later on. Like it's because it's such it's literally with any industry. It's like nepotism. Um, you know, it's who, you know, so I think that's a really good way of doing it. But I, I literally, um, I got into film just by interning. Mm. I didn't have any, cause I, I had a full time filming job, um, before going to university. Um, I don't know why I gave it up actually. I think it's like, just cause like the long hours again, but I didn't quite learn my lesson with it for some reason. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I literally just interned and I just carried camera gear along and did like basic edits. Um, and then, yeah, I got a full-time job and I didn't have any qualifications. What um, uh, what have you done in that capacity? Like, Because film is something like I've talked about it a little bit on the show. Um, so I, during the pandemic, uh, Run the Jewels put out a world tour, a beer world tour, where basically they got 13 breweries to make 12 different beers all across the world. One of the breweries happens to be here where I live. And then I saw the, the shirt one day and I was like, well, I know someone here. I know someone here, like all the quote unquote tour dates. And I was like, I know someone in this area. I know someone in this area. And even the overseas stuff, I was like, I know a couple people that could probably get those for me or I could buy them and send it to them. And if they're willing to send it to me, then there I go. And in the pandemic, I was like, Oh, I'm going to like get all these beers and I'm going to like go on the world tour basically. And then I had the idea to try them with a friend of mine. And then I had this idea. We just were going back and forth while drinking at a bar. And I was like, what if we did a documentary? What if we basically told the story that during a pandemic, the crux of my idea was in a pandemic where no one could be together, one band had an ambitious project to do a beer world tour that not only merged the beer, the craft beer community, the hip hop music community. And, you know, I forget uh, the art community basically, because they have all these different uh, labels and so forth and video games. Cause it was for uh, the no save point song that was in cyberpunk uh, the game. And I was like, you know, you're just merging all these communities together that maybe wouldn't have necessarily come together if it weren't for the mutual love of run the jewels basically. And so I wanted to tell the story. I wanted to get with all the breweries and kind of ask them their background and how they got into it, how they chose to make the beer that they did with the, the recipe. And then eventually the goal was to release it and maybe run the jewels would be interested in being a part of it and telling their part of the story. Um, I got one interview done. And then basically after reaching back out to one of the other breweries, they linked me linked the run the jewels campaign and they were like hey so we're just gonna link you guys together and just to make sure everything's on the up and up and i was like damn it i didn't want to get this far involved but it was one of those things where you know they asked me what my my myself and my friends backgrounds were and i was like well he did a documentary already i do a podcast so like between the two of us we can kind of make this not be bullshit um but it's one of those that it's like i've always loved film and, and documentaries especially music ones more so 
And so it was one of those where it's like, I have no experience doing it, but like, I was like, I know enough that I think I can navigate my way through it. Was there something for you that has always wanted to make you go into film? Like, do you eventually want to be a like director or producer or are you just more like, I love the creative part of editing where I take all the things and somehow build a story out of it. Um, I think at the time I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was, I was, um, had a knack for creative stuff. Um, and it literally just stemmed from the fact I did really well on my GCSE. So that's like, I guess when I was 16, I took some exams, um, like on media studies. And I, I've always loved film. Um, so I kind of was like, well, I'd love to be a part of it. Cause for me, like I've always had a job since I was like 14, like doing sort of various things I had a couple cleaning jobs and you know I've worked in shops and I just knew that I couldn't do something I didn't like doing full-time like I didn't have it in me um like I just have to quit after a while so I was like oh I'm gonna have to just get a job I really enjoy and not compromise um so yeah like I got into film um through that really um but no no sort of like idea in mind it's it's one of those where I've always admired the just so many aspects of within the industry of of film but it it's it's almost like it's almost like touring honestly the more I think about it because like touring when you get to a certain level you know there's the band that everyone is essentially paying to see but there's all the the background people like your your techs your tour managers your lighting directors you know there's all these people that make the show what it is and make it go so that like you can focus on what you need to do. And it's so much like, you know, you have a director, you have your gaff people, you have your editor, your, you know, producer, you have all these people involved in making films that I think largely no one knows what they do or, and then I'm sure in some cases there's jobs within that industry that aren't necessarily needed, but um, it's one of those that I think there's so many thankless jobs in that industry that I think uh, would be interesting to kind of put a, more of a light on just so people understand like it's not just the people you see on the screen and the director and that's how the movie gets made it's it's so many working parts behind the scenes oh yeah i mean there's a reason why credits are so long uh, <laughs> you mean it's not like, just to tease you to get through the avengers uh, end yeah, scenes? exactly um but yeah like so that's kind of what so before i went to university that was kind of my job so i worked for a um a, a children's charity uh and what we did was uh, we called it a film club and we were trying to get kids like stoked on film and just sort of highlighting all the different careers you can get. Um, Cause like, obviously everyone only, like you said, knows about actors or directors, like the sort of like the big, the people in sort of the forefront. Um, so yeah, we used to look, you get like people from all walks um, of the film industry coming in um, to talk about, um, you know, their experiences, how they got there. Cause I think like the kids were about, I think they were like GCSE age, like 14. So that's when you start kind of splitting off and choosing your subjects um, for like, uh, to kind of gear you up for college and then university. So yeah, we we're just kind of getting stoked on that. But it's quite cool actually. That I didn't, I didn't even realize myself how much, how many different roles you can get. Like um, I, um, I also was a runner mm. on a music video, for, um, you know, like Brian Ferry. Uh, the name sounds familiar. He used to be like a member of Roxy Music. Oh, okay. Okay. It's like kind of something like our parents would have listened to. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I kind of, uh, I, yeah, I did stuff like that. And like, yeah, you kind of get to meet all these people like makeup artists and there's all sorts of things. So that's quite, yeah, it's quite fun. It's not for me though. I prefer working in music. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about your label a little bit because I feel like it's, and I'm going to ask this just because like you've made a couple of mentions to it, but I haven't gotten an an idea of how old you actually are. And I know you're not supposed to ask a woman how old she is, but how old are you just for, for reference for myself or what I'm about to ask? (laughs) Okay. It's uh, I'm 29. Okay. So not too far difference in age. So some of this may make sense. You know, I remember when I was getting graduating uh, high school, basically in the early two thousands and I felt like then, you know, you were still seeing kind of the the last era of physical media. You know, like I remember getting promo tapes, literally tapes uh, for Linkin Park before Hybrid Theory came out. And I wish I still had it because it'd probably be worth a lot of money. Um, But, you know, street teams and things like that. And you were starting to see still this antiquated, like, this is how we get people in the buzz around a band and so forth. And this is what labels do. And when a band signs to a label, you know, it's notoriously long, long-term deals like nine album contract deals and so on and so forth. And then like once I graduated and probably within about a, I'll say a five to 10 year gap, roughly you started seeing everything like MySpace coming through more people kind of taking things into their own as far as, you didn't need to press CDs because now the internet exists and you can reach people and things like Bandcamp started existing. And, you know, once you started having things like iTunes and, and all of that, it started to level the playing field of being able to get your music out to a wider audience. And you didn't necessarily need a label for their distribution anymore. So now we're, you know, we're seeing a lot of some of the biggest bands. Like I know Slipknot recently has said, like, we're done with our contract with Roadrunner. We're not re-signing with them. Um, you're seeing a lot of bands kind of starting their own labels and, and figuring out their own things. Uh, I think poison or not poison the wall protest the hero, I think famously, you know, started doing their own thing through Patreon, basically like we'll give you a song or a couple of songs a month. Uh, at the end of that, you know, basically we'll have an album's worth of stuff. Uh, if you want to buy it, then is that, that you can, um, but you're just starting to see in the last couple of years, a lot of bands, I think, going away from a traditional quote unquote label system. So knowing that you guys have and gals uh, have gone through and are on a label yourself, what inspired you to want to start a label when so many people seemingly don't want them or don't see a value in a label anymore? Um, I just I think I think they're still so relevant labels like. I mean, there's a lot to be said for like the camaraderie of being on a roster of bands um, and also just knowing and like people who have been working in the industry and kind of know the sort of peaks and troughs and like know how to navigate because it can be very daunting. I mean, people like Slipknot, I mean, of course, like they've got decades of experience and realistically, like they're like at such a huge level that they have the infrastructure, they have like contacts to start, they have, they can set up their own distribution deal and it makes sense. But when you're like a little band that have started playing to 50 people, you just don't have that platform yet. And like it, and it's hard to get that platform. You own. It's like not impossible. And if you're smart with it, you can definitely do it. Um, but it's definitely a hard, harder road to take than if you kind of go with an already established label, um, I think also there's a lot of a, a, a bad hangover from the sort of era where loads of bands got abused by labels. Um, and it just, I mean, there's no money in music anymore. Uh, well, in our sort of music, I don't think, or at least like on this level. 
So there's not really much risk of that. So it, I feel like there's a lot more people in it who actually genuinely love the music and are fans of music. Um, and like, I just don't think that it operates anymore. There's so much in place to prevent that. Like there's loads of um, sort of publishing bodies. There's like, you know, PRS, MCPS. I don't know what the equivalents are in America, um, you know, that get you mechanical rights and performing rights royalties um, you know, people are pressuring streaming services to pay artists more fairly. I think there's a lot more emphasis on making sure that artists are treated fairly and get their money where they deserve. Um, so I think like, yeah, I think it's just an unfortunate, I think there are some labels, don't get me wrong, that are about that probably do exploit. But I, at the moment, like, I, I don't, I'm not aware of any in this scene. Um, so, yeah. What a, because it's funny as you, <clears throat> as you were kind of talking about some of the other careers and jobs you've had where you're like, Oh, this wasn't for me. It's, I didn't want to do this full time. I didn't want to do this full time. How has it been for you to run a label where basically not only are you trying to, you know, continue your own career in the music industry, but now you're also trying to foster other careers or start careers for other bands uh, on your label and so forth. Um, I think it's, I think it goes hand in hand quite, like, I feel like because I've lived through it um, with my own band and sort of I have worked for labels for like eight years now since straight out of university. I think it's, um, it's really rewarding for me helping other bands because I love seeing them get stoked when they, you know, get their first big show or um, you get their, you get in their first like radio play on like national radio um and it, I think it just keeps it really exciting for me and like mm. I love doing it and I love the social aspects of it like I've a lot of the bands that I work with are now my friends mm. um and I just really like I like the sense of community and the camaraderie it just feels like you're all on the same sort of team really I feel like at times it would almost cause some burnout or fatigue in doing what you do. And I guess it, it, the best way I can kind of maybe d explain that a little bit better is like, so I tried doing the band thing for a little while and just kind of found it to be sort of miserable, uh, trying to keep four or five other people who didn't have the same at work ethic as I did, or didn't want the same things as I did. And it's just like, well, then why the fuck am I doing this? And, to consistently keep trying to do it. It's like, this sucks. Um, and just isn't fulfilling. So I sidestepped or pivoted, I should say to booking shows. Cause I got tired of people going, well, there's no good bands. There's no good music. And it's like, no, there is, you just have to like put in a little bit of work. And so then it was like, I'll curate a night of music for you. And I will book bands and I'll book, you know, nationally touring bands, internationally touring bands. And, you know, hopefully people will come out. But then I saw how shitty the like the backside of that industry is, you know, dealing with some of the the venues and the staff and just like how quick they are to to fuck you as a, like a, a local promoter or the bands that are on your shows and things like that. To then even dealing with local egos like I mean, I have famously have said on the show a couple of times there is a local band. It was an all local showcase, basically, and the show basically sold out a 420 cap room and we made a shitload of money. And so I paid the band that pre-sold like probably a third of the venue. They're on their own 1200 bucks. 
And a week later, not even, I ran into one of the dudes at the bar and he didn't even know who the fuck I was. And I was like, I literally handed you $1,200 to play a show five minutes from your house. Like, you can't remember who the fuck I am? Like, wow. Um, and like, I have been working with that person for three months, like between booking the show, booking them on the show, leading up with all of our promotion and stuff like that, that we were doing. And it was just one of those where I was like, I mean, I know this is a thankless job and that's fine, but like, holy shit, like some of the egos that bands who have done nothing have like just drove me out of it. But the problem then became every time I'd go to a show and still I go, okay, there's about this many people in this size room at this much ahead, roughly, we'll say this is probably this much money the show made. This band's at this level. This package probably costs X amount of money, you know, and I'm just doing all the numbers. And it's like I, it's ruined kind of going to shows for me because all I think about is the business side of it. And it's so funny to like how I don't think we think of these things. when we're just like We're just excited to be like a part of it. And then it becomes your job and then you get well versed in it. So I feel like running a label at times would almost be like, well, I run my label this way. And now I'm thinking about, you know, promos and advances and, and you know, things that we need to do for this release or, you know, oh, I got to get the artwork out to this uh, vinyl pressing plant because we need to have a five month leeway on it. So it's ready to go when the album's getting announced, so on and so forth. And then now you're like, and then I have to do my shit with my bands and talk to our label. And then I feel like it would just cause you to be like. I'm so fucking burnt out. I don't want to deal with any of this anymore. And I just don't even want to be in this industry. <laughs> well, unfortunately I haven't got to that point. Um, <laughs> I've really, really got myself fully embedded if I have. Um, but like, I feel, I, I think it's easy to get like that. Cause I know some people who don't take weekends off. Um, yeah, and like, so I'm very strict. Like obviously if something bad, like emergency happens or if something's running a bit late, I'll like work longer. But generally speaking, I try to stick to either a 10 to 6 or 9 to 5 schedule. Um, and I always take weekends off. Like, And like, I think that's like, and always make sure like I try to sort of at least take a couple of days off, like sort of try and like assign myself holiday days like I would if I was an employee. I think that's so important. Um, like it's because even though you love your job, you can still burn out on it it's like you know you love chocolate but you can still eat too much <laughs> absolutely i think it's like yeah just like getting into that point and making sure that you you don't burn out because it is very easily done um yeah i've like seen it sort of like in some people and it's, yeah you just gotta make sure you take your holiday days basically it's like with anything here's kind of a, a- i don't mean to, to get too personal but like and i can cut this out after the fact but um so I know you're you're married to your guitar player and something that I find interesting and, and actually you just kind of hit on it. So it's what made me rethink of it is, you know, you're talking about compartmentalizing, like giving yourself time to work, time to have your personal life, time for, for those things. And, you know, I think very much in the job that I do, like I'm focused on growing this as much as I can with the podcast, but having a job that allows me the flexibility and freedom to do what I want when I want to do it. But it's interesting that when you do something that doesn't have a schedule, you oddly start finding and putting yourself into one just to kind of have this sense of compartmentalization. And something I always kind of find interesting, and I've talked to uh, a couple of different couples um, throughout the podcast of how hard is it to be, you know, married or tied to someone that's part of your creative endeavor 
but then is also a part of just your your day-to-day life and not having them overlap into each other where it's like like maybe you're talking about the bands you know stuff and then you know with sam and then just being like let's not talk about the band thing. Let's do that tomorrow when we're kind of in band mode or whatever. Now let's talk about us. Let's talk about, you know, whatever we're going through. Have you found that that's hard to kind of, I guess, essentially set a boundary for compartmentalizing that part of your lives with, with your spouse? I think when we were younger, we used to sort of moan about band stuff together, like all the time. And I think that quickly got quite old. So we sort of made a sort of concerned effort, like to be like, oh, let's like, let's be honest, like moaning about anything too much isn't good for you anyway. So I think we've got, as we've gotten older, we've got a lot better at kind of being like, no, like let's sort of like push that to a side. And I think it's important. It's like with any couple, I think it's important to have like date nights and stuff as well, where you talk about, you know, your hopes and your dreams rather than your grievances of like, <laughs> you know, or like if it's something's bugging you or anything like that. So it just depends on the person. Like, so you know, me and Sammy are very like easygoing people, and I feel like that's always been to our sort of strength as a couple. Like, we're quite like laid back. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong; I love planning things to a T, but like for the most part, I'm like I don't like arguing. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. We're just quite, we've got quite a healthy way, I think, of dealing with any like issues. So, yeah, I think the one thing that a lot of people because my wife and I worked for the same company for a little bit. And at first I was trying to get into like the logistics shipping receiving position, but they stuck me somewhere else. And we're just like, we'll put you here now and then we'll, we'll slide you over. And then that never happened. But it was a thing where I was learning something completely new. I am one of those that tries to put too much pressure on myself to be really good at something right away. And there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that led to my experience there not being the best it could have been. And what sucked is like, I would leave and come home and kind of complain about something. And then my wife who kind of oversaw part of what I was doing would be like, Oh my God, why are they having you? Why are they having you do this? That's not right. And then like, it would cause stress onto her job. And then it was just like one of those things, like we just couldn't escape it. And then there were times where I would complain about something and then not realize that essentially she was part of why that thing was in place. And and so it would cause us to have arguments about something. And it was one of those where I know a couple of times I had to be like, look, I'm not, I'm not mad at you or things like that. And it was just one of those where I've kind of wondered at times, like, like I could see if there was a band disagreement or whatever, where you're like, this is hard now. Cause it's like, I'm not mad at you. Like as husband to wife, this is something we're talking about as professionals and what we deal with. And I realized in my situation like that, I was like, it's gotta be really hard kind of at times because you're passionate about what you're doing and you're, you're kind of trying to get your side to be seen. And that sometimes we, do, we as people don't do well understanding that like, I'm trying to talk to you right now as a professional to a professional. But when this conversation's done, it shouldn't have an impact on person to person. Um, that's a different facet of our relationship, but oftentimes it does because people, we are people and we're emotional. And so we feel like, well, you were attacking me then. It's like, I wasn't attacking you necessarily. I was attacking or maybe attacking is the wrong word, but it's just one of those, like I could see it being an issue where it's like, you're just constantly around each other all the time and have no escape because the one thing that you kind of do 
creatively together is also <laughs> you just have no reprieve from each other. So it was just like, ah, I could just see that being really stressful and trying to figure out how to navigate that as a couple. Um, I'm sure it would be very interesting to uh, just kind of see like and talk about, you know, having to establish boundaries and uh, so on and so forth. I think like it, it depends on the, on the person because like for me, like um, it depends on how you are at taking criticism in general. Oh. Because, for example, like, even if it's not a work-related thing, like, I, for example, I'm very messy. I'm very self-aware of that, and I know I'm a, I'm a pig. And, like, <laughs> I, I literally, I don't feel like it's an attack when you, like, you know, say, for example, because, oh, could you, you know, could you pick your, like, could you clean your desk? Because I hadn't cleaned it in weeks, basically. And I won't be like, oh, you know, like, I wouldn't feel like it's, like, against me as a person. It's like, no, I am, like, I am a mess. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one of those kind of things. So I think it's I think it's just down how to how you sort of take criticism and then always realize that criticism is never an attack on you as a person. It's just something that you might not re- realize you're doing. If that makes sense, absolutely. So you almost don't need to you almost don't need to compartmentalize that. Like so, you know, like the home and the work stuff. Because if you kind of go, oh, like it's not like he doesn't they don't hate me. It's not about me. It's just about you know, something that's happened as a result of me, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. I feel like that's the thing, though. Like, you know, in I know, like, in my relationship, I've been with my wife. We've been married going on. We we'll be, have been married six years in December. We've been together about 12. Um, and it's one of those where I feel like a, it's our age, um, but we had also just both come out of long-term relationships. And it was one of those things, like, I know when, we first started dating like something she had kind of said and i i don't like i I put more couples would do this uh when they first start dating which is just kind of talk about some of their past dating experiences because i feel like it allows you to understand your insecurities maybe you both are bringing into the relationship and being able to kind of work through and around them and like you know one of the things that you know she at the time had made very clear was you know, she was in this long, like, like five, six year long relationship with someone. And like when it was done, the person was just like, these are all the things I don't like about you. And she was like, why the fuck didn't you tell me like at any other point until now? Like, I thought everything was fine. And it really it made me realize, like, as someone who sometimes I will overthink things, so I'm trying to find the way to say something and then I'm already trying to come up with a, well, what do you mean? Oh, okay. How do I explain? And like, I'm already coming up with a full on conversation in my head, which is actually something I went to therapy about where they're like, you're addressing problems that don't even exist. Just address what's right in front of you and then go from there. And so to me, I was like, oh shit, I I would do that. So I need to be more diligent in if something bothers me just going, Hey, like when you say this, it makes me feel this way. So like, if you could not say that or, find you know whatever and we just kind of talk our way through it like i feel like that's been just massive uh for for our relationship and being able to to sustain it is just not being afraid to to have conversations and so forth and then even you know now everyone it's weird i remember when someone explained to me the language like love languages and i was like what the fuck is this bullshit and it's so weird now, like I'll hear friends who are dating someone. They're like, oh, I, my love language is I need words of affirmation. And, and you know, my partner is definitely like needs physical contact and stuff like that. And I'm like, I do kind of love the fact that we now are able to understand what we need to feel 
important on, I don't want to say validated, but like to feel wanted and loved in the relationship we're in and to be able to articulate that to other people. Um, and I think that goes beyond just even, you know, intimate relationships, like one-on-one, -on -one, but like even just interpersonal relationships with people like at jobs and so forth. Like if you know that you need positive re like words of affirmation in your intimate relationship, then I'm sure that probably extenuates into your working relationship with others. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like whether it's intimate or not, it's a relationship with another person. So like, I feel like how you respond to others is always going to be a universal thing. And I think as soon as you become better at communicating at the end of the day, a relationship is like, it's communication. Like people need to learn how to communicate with others. And I think that a lot of problems in the world would be solved if people learn how to like, you know, communicate things that they want in a healthy way. Like, you know, rather than letting something build up and then exploding because someone left the keys on the side, for example. Do you know what I mean? Like the classic <laughs> grumpy dad comes home and he's like, ah, what's this? And it's like, you know, it's not about that. It's about work. It's about being like able to be honest and say like, oh, I've had a really bad day rather than internalizing. I think that's like why mental health is such a good, like good, you know, a great healthy thing at the minute. Like in terms of everyone's talking about it, talking about getting therapy because it just makes people open to the fact being like, oh, I'm really sorry I snapped. I'm really anxious today. And that automatically diffuses the whole situation rather than, you know, someone being like, oh, you like, you know, you were mean to me. And then like, you know, you get your back up because, you know, you know, they're attacking you now. It just diffuses everything. You just be like, sorry, my bad. Like, I'm not feeling good today. Like it's all it ever needs. Like most arguments can be solved just by that. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is, and I've been kind of, I don't want to say struggling with this, I've been trying to work my way through it. So, you know, like I've talked to to Dan from Barry Tomorrow, um, who's a huge, huge mental health advocate, uh, even, you know, their last record kind of dealing a lot with with that as a topic. And it seems to be over the last, I feel like the last almost decade at this point where you're starting to see more bands, you know, like a big one for me was like the, uh, the color morale with their album, no hope. And a lot of the, the lyrical themes that uh, Garrett, their singer was kind of tackling on it. And, you know, him being one of the few at the time that was really big on being like, you know, I went through a divorce and I'm going through all these things and it's okay to not be okay. And, and, and all this kind of stuff to so then it feels like that became a new trend in, some of the heavier music of just like, Oh, mental, mental health and mental health awareness is the new thing. So like, Oh yeah, I, I, and I'm not saying not everyone has mental health problems, but it was one of those where I started wondering, are people in bands latching onto this because it's the new trend that they can use to get popular or make them seem more accessible to a, a demographic or something. And just the genuineness of it. But then the shitty side of that, though, is like, I feel like, because then I'm like, that's so shitty of me to wonder if someone's using, trying to use something that is supposed to be a positive thing and, and being a voice for those that maybe don't feel like they have one to think that maybe they're doing it just so they can make a quick buck on a trend. And it made me feel really bad. But like, I don't know. I, I just I do wonder to a degree, like, is there people using it for disingenuous reasons like have you noticed that at all 
I mean, I'd like to think not. Do you know, I, I, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm sure someone somewhere has. It's like with any sort of like issue, like, you know, um, that's happened, like any kind of like movement or anything that's kind of happened, like people do latch onto it. And I guess uh, the way to sort of think of it is that even if people are using it for disingenuous reasons, at least it's still raising awareness, I guess. Yeah. I suppose. I don't know. It's a weird one. I do get what you mean, though. Um, but I'd like to think people aren't that contrived because that just makes me sad. <laughs> well, and that I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of like the thing where where I feel a little conflicted with it because, you know, something, you know, I've talked to um, I've talked to a couple of different bands and like, you know, an episode we have coming out as of when we're recording this, uh, this following week uh, is with uh, the drummer from Sleep Waker, a band from here that's uh, signed to UNFD Records. And a lot of the band's like mission statement kind of is talking about a lot of heavy mental things and talking about things that come from, you know, your dreams and so forth, uh, literally your dreams. And it was something where, you know, I was kind of talking to them because I know they're a lot younger. And I was like, you know, I love the fact that you're 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 talking about really heady, serious shit. And I go, but the thing that I worry and wonder about is eventually when your fans come to you and go, oh, this this thing or it makes me think this like, you know, you now become the conduit for people to to consistently keep coming to you with some of their really heavy shit. And what is that going to do to you when you're just basically taking on and taking on and taking on and not having an outlet to, to, to disperse some of it. In addition to your own stuff, like what does that end up doing to you? And that's, what's got me interested in this new trend of bands being open about mental health. But then all of a sudden it's like, now people are going to come to you and drop off your, their baggage onto you. And how do you deal with that? And what does that do to you? And what is it going to do to you? when you're on a three month tour and it's just every day or in your DMS and you just can't get away from it. It's like, I, that's the part of all of this that I'm like, I hope everyone is comfortable enough to at least seek the therapy or at least even be like, Hey, for my own mental well being, my tank's full. And I just really need, like, I'm down to talk to you about whatever, but sometimes like I may just have to be like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't deal with this right now. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, just because people are open about their own experiences about mental health and even saying that they went to get therapy, I think like people, I think people, most people will be respectful of that. At the end of the day, you're not a professional. Like no. <laughs> people need to go and see professionals like who are, you know, because you know, some people are obviously dealing with some heavy shit to the point where they are so desperate that they need to talk to a complete stranger about it. I mean, so they, they definitely need to go see someone who can like properly help them, not some band like person who's in a band who's just about sort of fumbled through their own stuff. <laughs> um, because yeah, like, I mean, I've had had that a couple of times at shows, and I'm like, look, you know, I really think you should talk to some a professional about it who can help you. You know, I can't I can't give you any advice really because it's it's so different. You know, you need someone who you can actually lay like you know with therapy. You tell them your whole life story from start to finish. Like, and that's like four sessions and then you start unpicking it. It's like a whole process. Um, you know, and you can't really give advice on stuff if you don't know the context. And, and yeah, I think, I think raising awareness is really good. And I just hope that people realize that they are advocating for people to go to see a therapist rather than offloading onto others. Obviously if they're your mates and stuff, then of course, 
Um, but in terms of like, yeah, seeking out band members, um, I think I think that'll be too bad for them. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's one of those. Like I said, I just I think because of my age, like I remember when and my starting point with this thought was thinking about when Korn's first record came out and the the last song on the record, Daddy, where Jonathan Davis is talking about you know being abused sexually and all that by his you know parents or his dad or whatever. And it, like at the time, like you just had never heard something like that and you had never really heard something so raw and visceral and, and the story behind it being painted so vividly for you and to have it be basically in your living rooms and so forth or in your ears. And you're just like, wow, this is like massive. Like, I can't believe like someone had someone had the balls, uh, quote unquote, to uh, to put something like this out. And it's just heavy. And to think from that point forward, once that song became, you know, out on the record for for public consumption, that essentially now Jonathan is the advocate for all these people who had gone through something similar. And he's potentially hearing all the worst stories that someone's gone through just for the last 20, 30 years. And you're like, fuck, man, what like what does that do to you? Like, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that must be so tough. I mean, it must make him second think uh, going going to the merch stand sometimes, I guess. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and that's that's kind of the thing, too, where, you know, I often wonder how much, like, so every, every band, obviously, like, you know, when you're making a record, it's funny because, like, I'm sure potentially you've been you've had this record done for a little bit, and maybe at this point you're already writing new material. So I always find it funny when, like, a band's. That's the other reason I don't really like talking about. Excuse me, the uh, the album necessarily is because a lot of people will be like, "You're probably more excited about what you're currently writing because you've been with this material between either the infancy stages or if you've been sitting on the record waiting for it to come out in a certain quarter or time or whatever." Um, that you're kind of not over this record, but like you've already lived with this record. You already went through everything to make the record. Now you're gaining new experiences, which are going to inform the next one. So these are essentially just snapshots of where you were in your life. But I can't help but also think at times where it's like, it's gotta be tough because it feels, it's such an interesting way to live a life being a musician. Because like I said, you know, you recorded this record, you went through the things that, that made this record. And now for presumably the next year and a half, this is what people are going to want to talk about and want to bring up or whatever. And then essentially unfairly, you're going to be judged based on the next thing. And it's like, name me any life experience you're going to go through where you're not going to have gone through a year or two's worth of experiences and it's going to change you and make you someone different. And then someone goes, this sucks. What you did before was way better. And you're like, yeah, but I already went through all of that. Like, why would I rehash it? I already went through and discussed like that just doesn't doesn't make sense. And it's a very odd prism that we put musicians into as as music fans because of (laughs) we're always a year or two behind of what they're actually doing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i think i, I think most people are self-aware though i think there'll be a few fans who don't quite understand that hindsight's a wonderful thing um, <laughs> but like uh yeah i think i think for the most part people get it people get that things are written two years in advance i think most people most musicians anyway sort of write stuff that's relevant to them at the time and i think most of the time you know it that spans over four or five years because you don't especially when you're already growing up, when you kind of hit your mid-20s, I feel 
that you kind of already the person you're going to be more or less for most of your life. Um, you know, uh, I guess I think the weirdest thing must be is if you're like, for example, like Blink-182, like I love that band, but they're in, I don't know how old they are now, but them talking about like erections and stuff like that from when they were younger. I always think how funny must it be, like kind of almost going into your 17-year-old mind or however old they were, <laughs> and talk, like talking about dog boners and stuff like that. Like as a 40-year-old, it must be like a really interesting thing to have to like do. <laughs> but the like, it's funny, Blink-182 is not a, like I I like the band, but I like a certain era of the band and where a lot of people are fans of like dude ranch and enema of the state to me, I really became a fan from take off your pants and jacket to the self-titled album. The, the, uh, the last one, or I guess not the last one with Tom, but the one that had like the song with the cure, uh, feeling this and all that kind of stuff on it. To me, those, that was like the transitional period where the band stopped kind of making dick and fart jokes I mean, they had them on the record still, but <laughs> went away from it being what most of the songs are about to then being here, like, you know, look at on um, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, like Stay Together for the Kids. Like, that's a really serious song. It's a great, well-written song with a really big message behind it. Um, but then the record that I feel like was kind of right in between that really merged from Take Off Your Pants and Jacket to that self-titled record was the Boxcar Racer record um, that Tom and... Uh, Travis did and I feel like there is more of an emphasis on it being serious to where when the self-titled record came out outside of feeling this kind of being a goofy song I feel like the rest of that record is just so fucking serious and it's so interesting to see that record in conjunction to the rest of what came before it and to me like that is one of the biggest growths as a band like as people and as a band that I think I've ever seen is just the maturity of, of that and when they broke up after that record, I was like, man, couldn't have gone off on a better record. Like, wow. Yeah, and, it was a great record. And now I'm just like, and you're still going and it's not good. <laughs> but that's my opinion. <laughs> I haven't really checked out the new stuff, to be honest. I'm just so stoked on their like older stuff. I'm, I'm quite happy just because this is them on repeat. <laughs> I, yeah, I quite like the fact that like artists, like albums are almost a diary of themselves in the past. And I think it's kind of in, weird when fans comment on that because it's such a personal thing, music. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it's great that you know, people get a lot out of like listening to albums and stuff, but at its core, like it's something someone's created for them uh, and to share to others. Um, so it's always an interesting one. Well, it's like I had talked to uh, the former singer Styx. Uh, that was the episode we put out this week. And you know, he was kind of going on about like, oh, I know people don't buy music and people your age just want like a single or whatever. And I was like, I mean, I have a whole record shelf next to me that would prove otherwise. And I was like, I think that that's a weird it's weird that you're blaming <laughs> like my generation basically for being like, oh, all you want is singles. And it's like, <laughs> like, that's how the music industry started back when you were like getting into music back in like the 50s and 60s. Like, you know, it was all about a single and then a person like an, like Elvis and like 17 other bands would play three songs like their their big hit another single that probably was the b-side on that that people would probably know and then in theory maybe like the next single that no one knew at the time but it's like you would just go out and tour one single and it was about buying seven inches or you know eight tracks or whatever it wasn't really until 
like my parents' generation where people were buying albums, like full albums start to finish. This is why we're listening to this and the artists of that era. But it's like all music is doing is actually going back to your generation that was buying singles because that's all that mattered. And it's funny, this weird shift of like, it's it's our generation that's ruining music in the music industry. And it's like, no, it's actually going back to where it started. It's just that more oftentimes than not, no one does their homework to, to know what the industry has been like or where it's gone. And so it's easy just to blame the generation that's coming up after you being like, oh, music was great during my era. And it's like, was it really? <laughs> no, that's such a cliche thing to say, isn't it? Uh, music yeah. was great when I was young. It's like, of course it was. You were young and you were happy and not jaded by life. <laughs> Music's still great. You just changed. Um, but yeah, I think singles are uh, singles are important as much as the fact that it's an advert for the album because a lot of people, you know, they're listening to music in between, you know, doing lots of other important stuff, whether it's looking after kids or going to work so you need to have that advert you need to be like have that kind of little reference go oh okay I think I'll dig this album you know and back when I was younger CDs were so damn expensive that singles was almost like a little taste like a little tester like a you know yeah. where you get you know compilation CDs and things like that so I think that's the only reason why people think song singles is like the album's the most important part the single helps sell it what's know. I've had a interesting thought a while ago i forget i forget the band that made me think about this but basically they put out a concept record and oh i think it was actually the acacia strain put out uh it comes in waves um and that was sort of like a concept record and i had made the comment i was like this is a concept record so how when you're shopping the record like hey here's the pre-orders here's this here's the single how do you pick a song that presumably is going to be the song that is the best or is indicative of whatever, however you pick your single, how do you pick a single out of a concept and go this one little sliver of the story I think is going to make people want to buy the record. And then adversely, how do you pick a song from a concept where maybe there's literally like the intro or a song segues into the next one or whatever. And there's, there's themes and stuff. How do you then just pick, a song to then throw in your set list to at least cover that part of the, you know, the album or whatever. And it's, it's just a, an interesting idea that I had thought of that. I've never thought of like Pink Floyd put out the wall. It's like, I feel like Pink Floyd would just need to go out and tour the wall as a whole, because that's probably not a record where you're like, all right, here's this song. Here's this song. That'll appease the people of it. It's like, someone probably is like, no, you got to play the last song. Like, like <laughs> it's just like no way to, to get around it. So I always think it's interesting even when bands, put forth so much effort into their music and it then has to become a and viewed as a product to be commodity commodified is that the word i'm looking for yeah it's good enough yeah i think um picking singles is an interesting one uh, for the most part like i'd like to think most people in bands are actually music fans so i feel like you have a general idea of what a good single is because of the kind of music you listen to if you listen to the same genre you can easily go oh well this kind of has like this kind of feel like this last single that did well for this band or you know i like this single i like this song on the album the most therefore i want people to hear it first i think or so yeah i think for the most part it's literally just either the band and their team just being like oh this one really stood out to me um because it's those are bands that like really don't work well on singles like they're just like you know one long piece of work you know like the sleep album it's just one long song like it only works <laughs> as a whole so i think it just depends on the band really 
Yeah, I mean, because like one of my favorite bands, uh, Every Time I Die, just put out their new single and then the pre-orders for their new record uh, yesterday. And it was one of those where it's like a lot of times like someone's like, oh, I'm just not feeling this single. And I'm like, you know, I, and maybe it's just because I've gone to so many shows. Actually, the show that it that really drove this point home to me was going to see Kanye West on the Life of Pablo tour. And there was parts of that record where I was like on Life of Pablo where I was like, I don't I don't get this. This song sucks. <laughs> and I felt so dumb saying it like that. But I was just like, oh, this, this isn't good. And then I saw him perform it live and I saw how the parts built up to something in a live instance. And I was like, oh, this this on record was never meant for the record. It was always probably meant for this live part. And that's sometimes the beauty of of going to live shows is sometimes like you'll hear a song on a record. And you're like, that's not I don't this isn't good. And then you see it live and you see how the parts react to the reactions of what the people do live. And you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. And then you think, well, they wrote this in a room. So probably they felt that way when they were writing it. Oh, okay. Son of a bitch. I never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Like most albums are sort of, you know, created to be listened to as a whole. And I think as to play the game, you just have to pick a single. You know, there's uh, some albums, like especially pop albums, are guilty of it, where they literally have, you know, three good singles and the rest is just filler because, you know, there was so much emphasis about you got to write a good single. And then the rest of the album suffers because, you know, everyone's just too stressed and like, or they try and like kind of crowbar in a song that doesn't fit in the context just so they have like, you know, quote unquote, the single. Um, Actually, don't be, oh, I guess, I guess you were done there. Um, I would pose this to you. So being big into like hip hop and pop and all that kind of stuff too, even though everyone presumes that this is, I'm just into like metal and whatever. Do you feel like a part of that is that pop albums don't necessarily feel cohesive because they have so many people writing like songs for everyone and rap too. Like a producer usually will come and be like, here's my beat. You can work on it or whatever. So you're not really sitting with someone and getting a consistent album feel like I think that's why to me, someone like Timbaland working with, you know, like Missy Elliott or more so Justin Timberlake, when he's worked with Justin consistently on a whole record, like future sex love sounds, that sounds so good because it's basically one, two people working together throughout the whole thing. And I feel like that's the one thing that maybe more rock and metal has that pop and rap don't is that it is the same core typically writing the same music so there is a consistency throughout a career versus oh we're putting you with this hot producer or here's the song you're basically singing over it um and it's already done for you and it's gonna be the single like do you feel like maybe that's why a little bit of that is yeah i think so um i think i think there is there's a lot of elements to that so like i think that's a factor and also i think there's a lot of pressure from labels especially when there's a lot more money involved to make ensure that there's like the big sort of names and everything. But I think for the most part, these producers and songwriters are so talented that I'd be surprised if they couldn't collaborate at like to the point where they can still make an artist sound like them, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of metal producers who, you know, record a lot of similar sounding bands and like help, you know, have a bit of say some, some songwriting in some cases. Um, however, they're still able to make each band sound different. So I kind of feel like, I don't know, I think it might be a mix, but I never really thought about the whole, like everyone's collaborating a bit more. 
in theory, well, there should be one producer that does the whole album, right? And then everyone collaborates almost on top, if that makes sense. So, yeah, then- no, it, it does, but I don't, I don't feel like that's what happens anymore. And I think a lot yeah. of it too is just due to everyone's availability. But I mean, I, I look at something like what Bring Me has been doing, where you know Jordan and Ollie are basically for all intents and purposes, basically the main songwriters and producers of what they do. But then they've gone out as you've seen on the last couple of uh, projects where it'll be like, we're going to do this song with Halsey. We're going to do this song with baby metal. We're going to, and they kind of tailor sort of the songs around the persons that they're working with because they, as musicians and producers have an understanding of the music and can kind of cater what they want to do to be more effective for the person that they have guesting on their thing. And to me, I, I, I love that more, even though a lot of people seemingly don't like <laughs> some of what bring me is doing since, you know, they're like, Oh, suicide season was the best uh, record. And it, it was only as good as their first record or whatever. But to me, I, I love seeing a band like that, just go every and every direction they want to. And then, you know, like Ollie has famously said, yeah, if you don't like this one, that's fine we're going to probably do something else you do like, and that will be fine too. Cause it'll probably bum somebody else out that we didn't do whatever. And to me, I just love the no fucks given artistic approach to what bring me has been doing. And I honestly, I feel like you're seeing so many other bands kind of finding the freedom that they have, I guess allowed others to kind of pursue, but also in just how they're navigating their career where it's like, we're going to put out singles. We're going to put out EPs. We're going to make these grandiose videos that tell a story that we want to tell and just kind of doing things the way they want to do it. And I feel like that's been missing for a little while, at least in this scene is just a band that kind of turns everything on its head and being like, fuck it. We're just doing what we want to do. Hopefully you guys do too. Yeah. I love, I really like all of this stuff that bring me do. I think, I just think it's really exciting. They're like not, I like how they don't stick to conventions. I like I like the fact they piss people off because that's quite punk, right? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, you're not supposed to conform and, you know, they're just doing their own thing and they're having fun. At the end of the day, it's their band. They can choose what to write. You know, no one's like, the whole point of being in a band is hopefully that, you know, you can almost be your own bosses. You can, it's your own creative output. So if they want to write an album like they did, then, you know, power to them. Because I think all their... I really like all their records. Like their earlier metal records were really fun. I loved them growing up and I really liked, was it, uh, I guess it was an EP, their last one. Mm-hmm. I did with the email and that. I think it was, I thought it was cool. I think yeah. that they're doing, a, they're really, they're kind of, they're fitting, um, they're in a really important role of almost being a gateway band as well. Absolutely. Like I feel like a lot of people who would be scared of like the classic metal sound and the metal look are kind of almost getting, like kind of reeled in and like, you know, through bringing horizon and they will be like, Oh, I really like the shouty parts. Oh, there's bands that do nothing but shouty parts. Cause at the end of the day, I got really into metal through Limp Biscuit and um, Lincoln Park. Cause I used to like rap and hip hop a lot more when I was younger. Cause I was like, Eminem was huge and 50 Cent were huge. Right. And JC, well, they still are huge, but um, you know what I mean? Like, especially in our schools and stuff. So as soon as like we had, was it reanimation Jay-Z did? Uh, that was Collision Course. Reanimation was the remix album that Linkin Park did after the holdover between uh, Hybrid Theory and Meteora. That's the one. So yeah, literally, I got into that and Linkin Park, and I was um, sorry, Limp Biscuit. Um, and yeah, I was like, oh, this is sick. I like the heavy bits, and then I just kind of went from there. So I feel like Bring Me have that about them. Like I feel like they'll have people, um, they'll get people into metal 
Um, yeah. Which is what we need. We need younger people to get into metal for the scene to continue. I think one of the my favorite things I've seen recently is I found this video of them playing, I think at the, might've been Wembley, um, of them bringing out their old guitar player and playing, I think, A Prayer for Plagues. And someone, like there was a YouTube comment and someone's like, can you imagine you only knew Bring Me from Semp Eternal and uh, uh, That's the Spirit and like your mom brought you to a show and then they just come out with Prayer for Plagues and this just brutal pit starts. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? That's but, so funny. And I was like, I never, I never would have thought of that. But yeah, absolutely, that is very amusing. But uh, I have another interview coming up pretty quickly, so I'm gonna have to wrap this up, unfortunately. But um, I did want to uh, quickly mention that you guys have a Patreon. Uh, I just relaunched mine yesterday, as of when we're talking. Um, how have you found that to be? I know on your socials you just posted uh, the cover that you did of uh, Poison, or not? God, why do I keep wanting to say Poison the Well? Uh, of um, Dillinger escape plan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting good actually. It's kind of um, it was just something um, to keep us busy over the pandemic. Really, um, we had like so much material, and we we're like recording an album. Um, and obviously, the money helps. You know, <laughs> we couldn't tour. We lost all of our festival slots. Um, and yeah, it was just quite. A, it's quite a good platform because we find social media reach is just absolutely obliterated these days it's quite nice having a platform of like your core followers that you can sort of post content and spend a bit more time um creating things for because i find sometimes when you kind of create all these little videos and play through it just kind of just doesn't reach everyone on on social media so um yeah patreon's great for that we're uh last question for you where can everyone find you or whatever you would like to plug online um, so the band, you can go to employedtosurf.com and then there's all of our links on there, including band photos if you want to know what we look like. Um, <laughs> and then for my label, um, it's churchroadrecords.com. It's nice and easy. And uh, yeah, we've got a monthly subscription club there. So if you don't know where to start, you can subscribe and you get all of our releases every month. Oh, um, cool. And I think that's it really. Just those two websites. That's Mike's whole existence is those two websites. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to uh, everyone getting to hear this record in a, well, as of when we're recording about a month, Uh, I guess this will be my last question. What song are you most looking forward to everyone getting to hear? Ooh, I don't know. I really, I know it sounds big headed. I really like the whole record. Um, Oh, the first one. I like the first one, the Universal Choke Hold, because it's the, we've got strings on it, and that's quite exciting. <laughs> or did you actually hire, uh, like, people to come, like an orchestra people to come in and do it, or was it, like, same thing? Um, we got a cello player and a violinist. Oh, okay. That's awesome. It's always it's always cooler when you see it. Like, I remember uh, on the used, on their Maybe Memories DVD, when they, back when you would get DVDs for bands, um, they went to like London and had like this London Philharmonic record some of the strings and stuff that were all over the like uh, maybe memories and some of the other songs on it. And I remember someone being like, that's our song. And they had it like unreal like sheet music. And they were kind of tripping out over seeing essentially something over their song be like in actual sheet music. And to me, I was like, that would be kind of interesting just to kind of see it like where someone has to compose it. And then they are reading like sight reading as they're playing uh, and to see your music 
that probably wasn't written in any way, shape or form like that to then have a quote unquote professional musician come in and be like, okay, I'm going to, ah, okay, this is in a scale of G. Okay. And then I'm going to play this. And you're just like, oh, wow, that's way more involved than I would have ever been writing this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. My, my message, some, I've got a group message. I don't know why I've hooked it up to my MacBook. <laughs> <laughs> I recently turned mine off for that very reason. So It's I, so I alarming. People ring you, like everything rings and you're just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll let yeah. you get to your, go ahead. I was it. Yeah. I was like, sorry, go back to the sort of sheet music. Yeah. It's mad. Cause like in my head, I'm like, Whoa, they're like, not that anyone who doesn't read sheet music's not legit, but you know, they've really <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time and uh, looking forward to hopefully you guys making your round here to the States, uh, probably in the next year, I would assume. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, hopefully we'll be allowed in and uh, we can blow minds. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to hopefully catching the show if you guys make it somewhere around Michigan or nearby. Yeah, I'm sure we'd hit up there. Like, we were supposed to last summer, so um, fingers crossed we'll do it next summer. All right, we'll have to maybe do another one of these in person if, if that's allowed. <laughs> yeah, actually have a beer as well. Boop, boop. There we go. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of your day, and uh, thank you again. Cool, thanks for having me. Have a good one. All right, so that was my conversation with Justine Jones, again, from Employed to Serve. want to thank her for taking the time to uh, just shoot the shit for as long as we did. Um, I always appreciate when a guest is willing to spend like an hour or so with me, and especially those that are not here in the States, and so the timing... It's, it's always kind of fun trying to find a happy medium where, you know, I'm not having to get up super early or stay up super late and they're not having to do the same. So um, was more than thrilled to uh, spend spend my morning with uh, Justine and just getting to know somebody that I feel like is going to be a name that is really going to take over the the music scene, the heavy music scene between what she's doing in Employee to Serve. I know, you know, outside of Spirit Box and maybe Ginger now that Architects has already put out their record, Every Time I Die is probably one of the last bigger bands that everyone's like waiting for this record. The Employed to Serve record is one that I've been hearing kind of a groundswell about. A lot of people are really excited about it. Uh, I'm hoping that if you're listening to this, you've already cranked Conquering quite a bit and you understand why this record was on so many people's radars for being, you know, an album to look out for and a band to really watch out for. So uh, I am very much looking forward to hopefully having the band come over here to the States, getting to catch this band and just kind of seeing what momentum they're going to be able to start making for themselves again and hopefully getting the American audience on their side. There's there's a lot to love with this band and this record especially. Uh, it's really great. They take some interesting risks. Uh, Justine's a great vocalist. The band writes really great songs. Um, and they're just, it's just, a, a it's great to kind of sometimes be excited about newer bands, even though this band's been around for a little while, to be excited about a newer band. Um you know, I constantly talk about when I do the weekly playlists, you know, it's it's full of older music. And a lot of times I say, like, it's I go backwards to see where going forward will in, inform me and where I can kind of pick up on some other things. But this is definitely one of those where I'm excited about a younger band that has me excited about the scene that I've been a part of for so long. Um, 
kind of keeping everything short too. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Employed to Serve, it's very simple. Employed to Serve on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Definitely go support them over on their Patreon. It's patreon.com slash employed to serve. They got a lot of cool things that they do over there actually. Uh, for a band, you know, it's it's kind of hard, I think, to give fans something that would be worthy of their value for their monthly for a monthly fee. And for, you know, about $7.50 a month, you get instrumental versions of the songs, you get access to demo versions of songs, studio updates, and you get 10% off their merch store, which I think is really cool. For about $15 a month, you get access to uh, tickets, pre-sales, all the releases, you get early access to those, uh, Patreon-only polls, instrumental versions of songs, the demos, the studio updates. Uh, You get access to remix stems, which if you are... Someone who is interested in doing production, remember, that's a really cool thing to be offered, uh, as well as uh, guitar playthroughs, drum playthroughs. They also will sometimes uh, allow you to pick a cover that the band will do, because as you heard us talk about, they do cover songs on occasion, uh, as well as uh, basically 20% off their online store. So go support this band. Uh, obviously, bands haven't been able to tour for the last two years, roughly, so anything that you can do to support a, an up-and-coming band uh, is greatly appreciated, and I'm sure they would love it. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Justine, you can follow her on Instagram at Justine Jones. Uh, also keep up with her record label, Church Road Records, uh, doing a lot of cool things over there. Uh, love to have Justine back on. Definitely going to have another one of these chats. Uh, she is a great person to talk to, as you just heard. And I'm going to get out of here and wrap this bitch up real fast. So if you would like to keep up with the podcast, simple enough, Bruce Speak Pod is our landing page. So anything you would want to know about the podcast, it is over there. Uh, we also, like Employee to Serve, have a Patreon page. Uh, is patreon.com slash Pod. There is content going up there weekly. Uh, I started another side podcast that's going up over there. I might be doing some other stuff as well. I just started kind of dipping my toes into the Twitch game. I am currently watching a Peer Pleasure podcast doing a live Twitch with uh, Matt from the Bronx. Uh, so go, I'm just full on supporting everyone trying to hustle and do whatever they, they can. That is the name of this podcast, basically, is just hustling and supporting those that uh, motivate you to do the same. Uh, if you would like to support our sponsors, who will also allow us to do this week in and week out, head on over to rockabilia.com. They have over 500,000 items in their online store. Use our code BRUTALLY, get 10% off your total purchase order. Head on over to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some delicious coffee. If you are in the Buffalo, New York area, as you heard in the intro, they have a brick and mortar. Go support those guys and gals. And last but not least, Mr. Maddie Mullins and the fine folks over at On Point Palmade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and take 15% off your total purchase order. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. I will see you all next week where our guest is the legendary Eric Martin singer, vocalist of Mr. Big, and so much more. This was a really fucking great chat. This was a bucket list guest for me. You'll hear all about that. I will see you all next week.